I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 22. Yep. And we're doing it early. This is a Sunday. We are ahead of the game. Do, 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 do. Only because uh, Will's taking vacay. <laughs> yeah. That jerk gets vacay. <laughs> Just kidding. Can I come? <laughs> and this is what I deal with on the daily piece. <laughs> Um, I think he's, well, let's not tell his business. Never mind. Cut that. <laughs> I was going to tell him where you're going, Will. <laughs> and I'm the one who spills secrets. <laughs> They're all going to haunt you down. Haunt you? Haunt you. <laughs> <laughs> I meant haunt you down and love you, but. <laughs> okay. What is the thing you always send when, about our codependency? Like, I'll never let you go or whatever. Oh, yeah. With the girl. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> So, if you listened to last week, well, whatever, coming out, I don't know. I hate this. I feel like I'm in the oh, Twilight Zone. Oh, it comes out zone. tomorrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, by the time you're listening to this, you should have listened to the other one. And it was Slender Man. Mm-hmm. Slendy, my, my boo. Um, I almost said your boo, and I was like, is that weird? Is he going to come <laughs> after us? Yeah, don't. I don't want to see you. No de- bells binging. <laughs> oh Jesus God. Christ. No bells dinging. No. Three times. I mean, he can't that. ring my bell, but that would be an ring incubus, and that's a whole other thing. But anyway, we saw it. It was good. It, yeah. It wasn't great. It wasn't scary. It was more suspenseful. Yeah. I really did, like, a couple of times. Like, at the, it was, this was at the very beginning that I ha- it, I got a couple of jumps. One, I was waiting, and the music was building, and Tiffany had gotten, like, I don't know, 25,000 napkins, and handed them all to me, so like I like I had threw one on her, and she was like stop. Blah, blah, blah. Well, because it was like Donna, and then Tiffany in the middle, and then me on the side. Yeah, so I had two in my hand that she had thrown back on me, and because yeah, we were obnoxious, but there were like two other people in there, so whatever, and they Legit. were like in front of us, so they had no idea because it was ten o'clock in the morning, <laughs> ten fifty. Okay, which if y'all listened to last week's episode, you know why. Yeah. So I'm waiting, the music is building, and I threw him over Tiffany's head and landed on Carrie. Got her good, well, y'all. Because, okay, I had on a tank top, and it, like, landed on my skin, <laughs> on my arm. And so I was like, it's a fucking roach coming at me, or a mouse, or what is on, like, scared the shit out of me. And, of course, as soon as I realized paper towel, my first reaction was, God damn it, Donna! <laughs> Like, there was no question in my mind that it was her <laughs> versus Tiffany. It was immediately oh, Donna. Oh, so funny. It was funny, though. Angela, in our group, she said it was like the ring mixed with Blair Witch. And I feel like that was so accurate. Yeah. It was the ring as in they watch a film about it and, like, it shows you all the shit. Mm-hmm. And that's the same as the ring. And it still made me think, like... Are we opening ourselves up to something? Because I always think maybe that's actually real. Like someone who's behind this is yes. like crazy. And we are all watch this video. Yeah. And now we're all going to be attacked by <laughs> Slenderman. Like, yeah. Oh, this is so silly. But we watched it. And yeah. then now blah. Anyway. But it was scary. Again, in the thinking of it. And so Tiffany was like. It wasn't scary. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, this is why I'm scared of it. And I went into it and I was like, okay, so the next time you're out at my house and you're outside, 
you look in those woods and you see if you, and she was like, Donna, don't say that. I'm never going back outside at your house. And I'm like, exactly. Slendy's waiting. Mm -hmm. But it was cool too to, I'm glad that we watched it after you did Mm -hmm. your story because like there were a couple of times I looked at Donna and I was like, because of her story. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. So, I mean, it's a movie I would recommend. Again, no scary movie to me. I'm always going to jump because I'm a scaredy cat. But also, I'm always going to laugh at it, too. Because yes. there's parts where I'm like, are you fucking serious? This yes. is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. Like, when it's, like, kind of, like, sci-fi-y, like. Yeah, the CGI and stuff. It, eh. But, again, it's a scary movie. It's not going to be. Yeah, it was one of the better scary movies, I, think I feel so like. Too. I think so, too. The only one that has really scared Carrie recently is that creation, Annabelle creation. Well, and again, I think only because yeah. we had just done Robert. Robert and Shadow People. Yeah. And, and so, they were mixed. Yeah. That. Yeah. And so, because usually I'm the one that's like completely making fun of it. Yeah. Again, I'll jump though. Like if the music's right, yeah. like <laughs> I'm a jumper, but not like a woo jumper, like a ooh, jumper. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we need to start recording, like, video in this so you can see. No, because then you'd be like, are y'all making hand puppets? So we did that. That was like an add-on from my birthday dinner because mm-hmm. BTW, it was my birthday on the 8th, and I'm 33. We went to dinner, and I ate all the bread. <laughs> all the fucking bread. Oh, Lord. Okay, what else did we do? Oh, yeah. We went to Olive Garden. I didn't eat all the bread there. No. But then, Carrie, you take it away. It was your afternoon after that. Oh, okay. So, big news. (laughs) I bought a house, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) We closed on the 24th. And so, I made Donna go all around town with me everywhere. We legit went to probably 10 different places like it like we went everywhere we have these places here called dirt cheap and it's like if a target floods or something or has like overstock or gets a caught on fire or whatever like the, this place gets it and so it's like almost like a salvage thing yeah where it stuff's really cheap sometimes sometimes yes yeah. sometimes they have it marked which we figured out yesterday when we yeah. were shopping was that sometimes they have it marked higher than target so you're like oh it's 50 percent off and you're like yeah but it's a hundred dollars more than it is yeah. at Target. So really, it's like 20% off. Very sneaky, sneaky. Mm-hmm. I got Google. Don't try to trick me. <laughs> the house that I'm buying has a swimming pool. Y'all, this is like my dream house. It has exposed brick on the inside for a fireplace. It has exposed beams in the living room. And it has an in-ground swimming pool. Yeah, like a cement pond. I, <laughs> <laughs> I am like... Living the dream. Like, could this year, I mean, like, I don't even want to say this because I don't want to curse yeah. myself, but this year has been amazing. Like, yeah. It's, it, it's just like my life has finally come together. After all these years of school and all these years of, like, my life being on hold while I went back to school and then in grad school and blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh, my God, I'm finally going to own something. And yeah. my life is going to settle and we're going to have a place to actually do better lives and not a creepy dungeon. Right. That is these moving blankets we're gonna yes. yeah anyway and so we went shopping for just like house stuff yeah and i bought oh because wayfair had a 
sale going this weekend. And so I got a desk for my office that we were going to record at and an entertainment center. That we're going to watch TV at. Yes. Because I'm going to be there all the time. Because I have good internet or will. And a built-in pool. (laughs) Yeah. So basically I spent all the money in the world on (laughs) stuff around the pool, including pillows, no pillows. Yeah, no furniture. Still don't have furniture for out there. But anyway, so we had fun. Well, I say we had fun. I think we we had fun. We really did. We just shopped till we dropped. Yeah. Y'all if y'all are in the group, you know, I told y'all my Flintstone feet, they were dead. (laughs) Dead. Thought I was like there were a couple of stores I just left her out in the truck and because we it it was so fucking hot. (laughs) It legit was a scorcher. Like I think that it was like at least 90% humidity. Yeah. And well on its way to 100 And degrees. we were there at like 1230. Yeah. So sometimes. Oh, and then we went to Joanne's and the air was not working. Oh, yeah. That was that was the because that was the first place we went yes. after lunch. Because we went after the movie, we went to Olive Garden and then. It's right next to. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, <laughs> let's just go over to Joanne's because they had all that creep it real stuff. Yeah. Uh, big mistake. That should have been our last place. Because once was, you're hot, it's so hard to get cool. Yes. But, yeah, it was good. I got, I did get a lot of stuff, though. Me, too, and I wasn't shopping for me. Oh, my God. But I got Tell shit. them about the picture you got. I got an alpaca picture. It's like a canvas, tall picture. Like, Black one of those and tall white. skinnies. It's so cute. I was like, you're buying that. <laughs> she was like, should I? I'm like, yes, get it. You have to get this. Oh, I'm so excited. It's crazy, like, how on trend you were with this without even realizing you were on trend. I know. Who knew that llamas and alpacas were going to blow the fuck up? (laughs) I don't know. And creep it real. Right? The universe loves us this year. The universe is like, look, the past few years have been shitty, shitty, shitty. (laughs) Yes. Here's some something. Here's a reprieve. Yes. Good word. Thanks. So, yeah. So, New house, who dis? <laughs> January, no, not January. August 24th, signing it and then painting it. <laughs> oh, Lord, then moving in it. Oh, oh, my God. I know. And then it's Donna's turn. Um, six months later. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's all of our news, I think, now that we've been talking for four hours and haven't gotten to the stories yet. Oh, I know, people. I'm sorry. But so much to tell. You know, we like to be an open book with y'all. Mm-hmm. I know. I was like, should I tell them about the house? Because, you know, we're still two weeks away from the closing date. And part of me is so terrified that this owner is going to back out. And so I was like, I don't really want to tell them, you know, because I'm scared, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, they can be mad with me if he backs out. Yeah. He's not. He's not going to back out. It's going to be great. It's going to be mine. Yeah. You know, hers slash ours because, you know, <laughs> we're codependent. <laughs> she ain't paying the bills, though. Dead no. <laughs> Let's do a quick little side note of a shout out to our new Patreon patrons. Yeah. I never know what to say. I'm like, Patreon, Patreon. I guess that's right. Uh, Any- members of the Creepinati. That's what we should say. Yes. Remind me. <laughs> but so Nicole S. Manda S. And she was mentioned last episode. But she upgraded her membership. So shout out to you, girlfriend. Get it. And then lastly this week, Marie S. 
Thank you. All S's. That means y'all are super spectacular sisters. Oh, of the Creepinati. That's right. Yes. I love it. Thank y'all so much. We're so appreciative and we hope that, I don't know. You creep it real. Yeah. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get cozy. Not you because you'll fall asleep. <laughs> I'm already cozy. Oh, gosh. Marley is too. She is out. All right. We are going to St. Louis, Missouri. With the arches? Yeah, sure. You know, yeah, yeah. I never know if it's Ark or Arch. I think an Ark is... Not like Noah, but like an like Ark, <laughs> yeah, you know, like... it's like the... I hate to say column, but it's like a rounded... Well, that's what those are, though. But those are more like the arches of McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the difference. Someone, Mac- can you dumb this the, down for us? <laughs> McDonald's is like thin and long. The Arks Arch. are... Short and fat like me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, fuck, they I got know. a little extra in the middle. <laughs> like Ashley said the other day, they got some cornbread on them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> little in the middle, but they got much back. What song's from? Thing. What? The booty thing. What? There's Cisco. There's so many things with the booty. You I like literally, yes, I was like, you literally just said Sir Mix a lot before okay. we started taping. Okay, 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 here we go, here we go, here we go. According to Google, arc is not an actual structure. It serves only to define a shape of a real structure, like the curve. The arch is the structure. Well, that's still true, though, what I said, because. It has nothing to do with one being skinny and one being fat. It's a rounded arcs, the structure inside. Skinny. The arch is what's around it. No. You, no. Oh. No. The arc is the shape of it. Shape of it. The arch is the actual structure. Oh. I was like, when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) She was wrong. I may have downloaded um, Fishdom that you Did you really? (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Y'all. Okay, so if you're in the group, and I know we say that a lot, but this group is fucking awesome. But I was on Facebook, and you know, well, I think y'all know, that I hate fish, like afraid of fish. And one of the sponsored ads was this fishdom thing. And I was like, I screenshot it and sent it to the group and was like, um, who the fuck is targeting their ads because they suck? Because there's nothing about me that says I like fish. Yeah. So they're wasting money targeting someone like me. Oh, I did. We did talk about this because you wouldn't even sit next to the aquarium. Oh yeah, with at the, the turtles. Sushi. Yeah. Well, it's the water more so than the turtles there. But, but anyway, so that's what Carrie's talking about the fish stuff. And then this bitch is gonna get it. Well, because like, what is it? That's stupid. Well, then Emily said she was on level nine hundred two. And so... 902? Yeah, so I was like, well, that just sounds like some Candy Crush and Toy Blast to me. <laughs> I got to get this. Oh, my God. So I just downloaded it today. What are you on? Oh, I, like, literally just turned it on when we started recording. Oh, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> Y'all, Lord. No, no, it, I, I'm on level two. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about... Limp Mansion and Brewery. So, like with many other hauntings and shit, there's always something tragic that happens long before 
that leaves in negative energy, you know? I mean, not all the time, but most of the things we've covered, it's been something that's happened, then they built over it or whatever, and then blah. So, according to legend, the land that I'm going to talk about, that spot, it has caves underneath it. So, it's almost like tunnels. Mm Mm-hmm. According to legend, there was a young Indian woman who fell in love with one of her tribesmen. And he was like, yeah, girl, I love you too. Ditto. But she was already promised to the Indian chief. (gasps) Yeah. And he was like violent. Oh, no. You know, like a fucking jerk. Well, her lover, you know, her Romeo, he was like, look, we got to get away. You're going to have to marry him and no telling what he's going to do to you. And I can't live without you. So he's like, let's go through the tunnels and we're going to escape. So they hid there and we're like, we're going to wait till they search, you know, and Mm -hmm. we're coast is clear. So the chief somehow tracked them through the cave. And so not through to the cave. So they were stationed on the outside either way. So they were trapped in there. So, rather than surrender to the chief, the couple stayed in the cave until they starved to death. (gasps) Fast forward many years later, and the tale was repeated to the white explorers that came over. You know, everyone thought it was just a legend, lore, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then they found two skulls in there and some other bones in there. Yeah, so... I mean, I don't think they tracked it to whatever, but it's like, okay. God, like, how many days were they down there? You know what I mean? To have, to get to where they literally starved to death. Like, yeah. I'm like two weeks. Oh, my God. And I know how I feel when it's lunchtime. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Like... My hangry monster. Yeah. I'd have done broken up with him and been like, fuck you, I'm going to get food. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Like, you're cool and all, but I'm fucking hungry. Yes. Well, at that point, I feel like the chief would have killed them anyway. Mm-hmm. So, but he may have tortured them. True. Well, what is... I, oh, true. Being hungry? I mean, it's torture either way. I guess at least they're doing it to themselves. And together. Yeah, and together. And not... Ha- well, you still have to watch the other one tortured, but... Yeah. Golly. We're not romantic at all. We're like, look, I need to to eat. eat. (laughs) I'm like, meanwhile, I'm like, you could have just like married the chief because he's the fucking chief and had your side piece. Yep. But he was really mean. Well, marry him and then poison him. Damn. (laughs) I watched Snapped. Uh, You read about what? Who's that lady you did? Nanny Carrie? (laughs) Nanny Doss. Nanny Doss. Okay. While people started to explore down there, they also heard ghostly sounds of crying and weeping. And then they would hear some voices that spoke in a dialect that no one knew. And so, it's like, could their souls be down there and... In this turmoil and torture, you know? Okay. So, the property I'm about to tell you about 
was featured in a 1970 issue of Life magazine, and it was ranked as one of the nine most haunted places in America. Dang. Yeah. So what's even more sad than, like, hauntings and even the Indian people, this family had so many, like, wrong things happen they thought they were cursed, like the whole family. Damn. And shit, because it was like real. You're about to hear it. Is this the story of the clan of the Easterlings and the Elwins? <laughs> yeah. Except this year. Yep. This year, looking up. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because we started a podcast and we're doing what we, what we love. Yep. So it's, you know, we're having like more positive energy. Yeah. And all of that. So, yep. So, Johann Adam Limp left Germany and was, like, going to America. He settled in St. Louis in 1838, and he opened up a grocery store, and he sold beer that he brewed in the grocery store. It's from a family recipe, you know. So, by 1840, so that's two years later, the demand for his beer had gotten so popular, he closed the grocery store and established Western Brewery. Every time I say brewery, all I think about is brouhaha. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So the beer he made was lager. Like he was the, I think, the first. Damn. To bring that over or to make it popular, I guess. So he bought property near a natural limestone cave, the cave that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. The Cave of Wonders. Yes. Of two dead people. So not wonder. Yeah. (laughs) What is the Cave of Wonder? Is that from Aladdin? Yeah. Okay. So he found the cave and that's where he stored his lager. This was before refrigeration. Yeah. So the cave was perfect because it was cool. And he made it cooler because he actually carved ice blocks from the frozen Mississippi River and would put it down there. He was, like, a fucking smart person. Like, Like yeah. uh, Ingenuity. Yeah, but what did he do the rest of the year when the Mississippi River wasn't frozen? I don't know. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like if it's at a point in time when the Mississippi River will be frozen, it's cold enough outside that you wouldn't need it. Maybe because it's cool down there, it stayed frozen longer. Maybe. I mean, it was the original Yeti. (laughs) Shit. Like, take that 24 hours or whatever it is. Two days. You know, Yeti. What is it? I think it's like... Two weeks. Something. I don't know. I use the cheaper brand. Mm -hmm. Literally using an Orca right now. (laughs) Did you just call me a whale? <laughs> I almost pulled a Donna and spewed coffee out my nose. That would have sucked. Yeah, because it would have been on our fucking equipment. And then I would have been sick for three fucking weeks with coffee nose. Like you had tea nose. <laughs> uh, you'd have brewed boogers. Brouhaha. <laughs> Is that how you would sneeze? <laughs> Oh, my God. We're so stupid. Yes, we are. Okay. (laughs) I can't see now. (sighs) Okay. If I would have read down more, I knew this is... (laughs) 
I read it earlier, <laughs> and I was like, damn, that sounds really Okay, so yeah, he was the first brewer in St. Louis to manufacture uh, lager, like I said. So I was right. Okay, I thought you were going to say something about the ice, but... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> By 1860, he was the leader in St. Louis beer brewing. He brought his only son, William, into the business, and he was even better at the business than his father. Get it. So his father died in 1862, and William continued. Mm -hmm. Once he controlled the Western Brewery, he was like, okay, having to go to the cave, buy a wagon, and get everything. He's like, "Mm -mm, no, let's build a new brewery. And it's directly over those caves. So it's more of like you go down a staircase, mm-hmm. like a spiral staircase. Which I would bust my ass on. Right. But you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like right there. So the complex he built included a larger brewery, offices, ice house, and bottling plant. It took up a whole city block and was constructed using the latest in technology there. Cool. Yeah, because, you know, they rolling in the dough now. Yeah. Because people love their fucking beer. Right. So by 1877, sorry, he renamed it to Limp Brewery. Gotcha. By 1877, Limp Brewery was ranked 19th in the country in terms of distribution reach, size, and success. Anheuser-Busch, another St. Louis-based brewing competitor, was ranked 32 that year. Damn. Yeah. So, in 1861, William married Julia, and Julia's father, Jacob, built what's now known as the Limp Mansion, but he had help from William to Mm -hmm. build it. Well, in 1876, William actually bought the mansion, and he renovated it to be even more grand. So, him and Julia moved into the house and made it... As, like, state-of-the-art as they could at that point. In 1876, William was the first St. Louis brewer to install the refrigerated area in his facility. So that freed him up from the cavern, the caverns, the caves. So in time, since they're closed, they're no longer used for the storage, Mm -hmm. they were actually converted to almost like a private underground hangout where it had a theater a bowling alley and a concrete lined swimming pool complete with hot water piped in from the brewery damn yeah so can you in imagine a cave? yeah because i mean like this is a whole yeah. block long and crap and you know i could not be swimming up in that fucking pool mm-mm mm-mm okay so between the years of 1862 and 1883 William and Julia had nine children. One died in infancy. Then they had Anna, William Jr., Louis, Charles, Frederick, Hilda, Edwin, and Elsa. Okay, so then William appointed William Jr., which he was called Billy, and uh, Louis. So they became, you know, like... The head guys, like yeah. the operators. Yeah. Well, Billy was known as the fucking playboy, 
And Lewis was like the one who wanted to do fast sports and stuff. Like he was a horse breeder, a racer, you know, like like, an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. Because they had too much fucking money. Yes. Do they want to share some? (laughs) Okay. So Billy eventually married a lady named Lillian Hanlon. And she was a wealthy socialite known for her beauty and like her wardrobe and you know it was all Mm -hmm. so lavish and she had like a fondness for lavender lavender clothing lavender scent everything lavender she even had a her horse-drawn carriage in lavender so from that people called her the lavender lady okay so even though billy was appointed vice president by william the son Frederick was actually said to be his favorite son and first choice to run the company if he died. So Frederick was like, okay, they might be the top dogs, but I'm going to get this one day. And so he was like in it to win it, Mm -hmm. learning everything he could. But then Frederick began to have health problems and he passed away. (gasps) And it was due to mysterious circumstances, but another says the cause of death was heart failure. So William had taken the death of his son really hard. Yeah. And so his friend said that he never recovered from that news. Do you ever really? Right. As a parent ever. So William would go through the motions for like three years. He'd go to work, just stare off, you know, not doing anything. So, on the morning of February 13th, 1904, William was alone in the Lent Mansion, except for the servants, because, you know, they had several. He was laying in the bed on his second floor bedroom, and he shot himself in the (gasps) head. He died later that day, and at the time, his brewery was valued at $6 million. Cool. And his personal assets at $10 million. Shit. Yeah. In 18... 90, whatever. In 1904. 1904. Oh, 1904. And here comes Prohibition. Okay, so then a year later, William's widow at the time, Julia, she was diagnosed with cancer, and she suffered until March of 1906. And she died in the same bedroom where William had shot himself. Bless it. Just two years earlier. God. So... In November of 04, Billy took over as president of the brewery. And so him and Lillian, the lavender lady, mm-hmm. they began to spend the money big time. William basically had Lillian as a trophy wife mm-hmm. to make everyone jealous, mm-hmm. you know, and be like, look what I can get. Well, meanwhile, he's probably stuck in an extra large pizza behind the scenes. Exactly, right? He likes to stuff that crust. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That was good. That was good. That was good. I wish I could have seen her movement, too. (laughs) Okay. Well, he was also a player. Remember I said he was known as a player? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he really was. He really was. (laughs) Yeah. So he started to demand her spend her time shopping. So he started giving her $1,000 a day. What? Yeah. And he said, you have to spend it. If you don't spend it, I won't give you any more. What? Mm -hmm. But he wanted her to be out so he could be in somebody else. 
But I mean, that's a lot of fucking money. That's uh-huh. a lot of money now. Yeah. Per day. So back then. That girl had lavender everything. She like probably you, bedazzled her fucking vagina with a right? uh, lavender merkin. Like, she's twerking her merkin with yes. lavender. <laughs> yes. No, legit. Like, what What could you possibly, in that day and age, buy with that money every day? A fucking house? <laughs> I mean, yeah. You would be like. Yeah. Well, but they're rich. So, of course, they have to have the best. So, someone's going to be like, let me open up a coach. You know what I mean? Or yeah. whatever. And it's like, this shirt. Five hundred dollars. Yeah, you know I guess what I so. mean. I mean, yeah. There's always someone that's just gonna remarket it for luxury. True. But I'm also, like, they like horses and shit. So true. 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 Like us, that would get us a whole lot of shit. I, it's so much shit. Yeah, but for them, I mean, they think in like higher ups. You know, we could not even fathom that amount of money. No, fuck no. That's like. Yeah. Like $30,000 a, a month. month. That's like almost, it's like $360,000 a year. Just in spending. No, 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 no. That's $3 million, I think. Let me do that math again. Erfurt. What did we say? $1,000 a day? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I was right. 365000 Damn. Could I please make that? Could I make like a fourth of that? Gosh. Can you, how do you, whew, I know. Okay, so she's spending her money. Mm-hmm. I picture montage of Pretty Woman. Yes, on me too. Drive. <laughs> but meanwhile, back at the ranch, William was holding lavish parties in the caves below. He would bring in sex workers, you know, of those parties that you would think of where illegal shit goes down. Mm-hmm. It was here. I'm picturing craps tables, blackjack, <laughs> lots of sex. Well, bowling alley, theater. Movies. Porno. Bounce tickle about one. <laughs> so, eventually, as shit happens, it caught up with him. As and, it does. Uh-huh. And old Billy Boy had a son with someone else. <gasps> it gets worse. So... There's no documentation that this boy existed, but other people have said that it yeah. was true. And a St. Louis historian, Joe Gibbons, said the boy did exist, but this boy stayed in the attic his whole life. <gasps> no. Mm-hmm. And he was born with Down syndrome. Poor baby. Yeah, and so at that point, they didn't know no, yeah. at that or whatever. So he was, like, banished. Because, one, he was illegitimate. Mm-hmm. And, two... He had a disability. Yes. So he is known as... This is terrible. The monkey face boy. <gasps> yes. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So that's terrible. Like, somber mood. But... Let's keep going. Billy and Lillian ended up, let's get a divorce. She was like, look, you're spending a lot of your time doing other shit. I'm going to take our son and I'm going to go. Yeah. So she filed for divorce in 1908. And she said it was on the grounds of mistreatment and desertion. She claimed that he brought women into their home, entertained them in their private spaces. Mm -mm. 
Don't do that. You know what? It's one fucking thing for you to cheat on somebody. Do not fucking do it in your bedroom that you share with your spouse. Right. That's fucked up. Or where your kids eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Don't fucking do it, period. Right. So, in return for that, Billy accused Lillian of Victorian female infractions, such as using foul language <coughs> and constantly wearing lavender in public as a ploy for attention from others. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, news of the divorce of, you know, a millionaire, and she was an heiress almost yeah. of other things. So, people like us were like, uh, skirt. <laughs> What's going down? You know what that reminded me of, though? Just, like, the stuff that they basically, like, their grounds for divorce. Do you know in Mississippi and in some states still you can sue for abandonment of affection? Like, so, like, let's say that I was married and you had an affair with my husband mm-hmm. and we got divorced. I could sue you for abandonment of affection. Yeah, someone sued R. Kelly. That is nuts. He was, like, a law officer or something here. In Mississippi. Oh, really? Yeah. And R. Kelly and his wife had a thing, and then they continued to have a thing, like, had it back in the day. Yeah. Then she moved to Georgia and actually got him, like, their family moved to Georgia (gasps) and was like, we need to do this for her, you know, the good of blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, she's with R. Kelly letting him piss on her. (laughs) (laughs) And so that guy did. He sued for... Uh, Damn, I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. I keep it with R. Kelly news, apparently. But, yeah, crazy. But anyway, yeah, I, like I just... I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what just happened. But that, like, blows my mind that you can... Like, you got to be careful. People will do... Uh-huh. Like, you got to watch your back. Yes. Because, Fuck. Everyone pretty much virtually ignored all of William's wrongdoings. Yeah. And Lillian almost lost custody (gasps) of William III because of a photograph that was presented at trial that showed her smoking a cigarette. But in the end, she retained custody and kind of retired from the public eye, went and lived their best life. Fuck. Whatever. Meanwhile, everybody smoked back then. Right. Like, like everybody smoked up until, like, 1984. <laughs> and then everybody still does closetly. Uh, still. <laughs> right. Closetly? That's not a word. No, but, okay. Closeted. Whatever. I don't fucking matter. <laughs> Lillian was awarded the largest monetary divorce settlement in the state history at that time. Good for her. Mm-hmm. Fucking get it. So, then, Billy... He's on the downward slope now. Got fucking, he got, he fucked other people and he got fucked. Yeah. She took all his money and his kid. Yep. And then, like you said, Prohibition, 18th Amendment in 1920. And so other breweries like Anheuser, Bush and stuff, they started doing non-alcoholic beverages to yeah keep the lights on and shit. Well, he was like, no, mm-mm. We're going to keep doing what we're doing, whatever, you know. How? They didn't. Okay. So, but he was bitter and blah. So he was like, 
whatever. And a lot of people say that they were so wealthy that they, even losing the shit, I mean, they had so much money. Yeah. I tell you what, his wife got out at the perfect time, uh-huh. though, because she got money while the getting was good, and then shit went downhill from there. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Billy's sister, Elsa, mm-hmm. she was, I'm trying to think, blah, 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 blah. But, so, <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I hate to say that, but we don't know a whole lot about her, and then it goes into, like, this whole blurb about her marriage or some shit. But anyway, all you have to know, in... 1920, she shot herself in the head (gasps) while laying in bed after a night of insomnia. What? Yeah. Upon hearing the death of his sister, Billy was like, well, that's a limp family for you. Because his dad had done it. Now his sister. So, in June of 1922, Billy sold the brewery for basically nothing. And so, that just, like, added to his depression, feelings of failure, you know, on December 29th, 1922, Billy sat at the desk in his office on the first floor of the mansion and shot himself through the heart. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. It was the same office his father had killed himself in. I thought his dad shot himself in the bedroom. Mm. They had rearranged? No, yes. He used it as an office. Gotcha. Yes. I was like, wait. But, yeah, that's what happened. Come to me, Billy, and tell me if I'm right. Don't be summoning that shit. (laughs) You made me go up an octave with that. (laughs) Marley looked up and was like, uh, skirt. Uh, Marley's ears were like, that was really high pitched. (laughs) Marley said, "Uh, simmer down. I'm trying to sleep here. (laughs) Your shrill voice is fucking annoying. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay. William the Third. William's son, son, that with Lillian and I, stuff. I don't know how those work. Well, I'm just, <laughs> fuck, fuck you. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. So he tried to bring limp beer. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I've been dying God. to say it. Okay, okay, okay. I'll shut up now. <laughs> You're just hungry, so shut up. <laughs> so after prohibition was repealed, he's like, let's bring it back. You know, it was booming one time. We got this. But shit didn't happen because the country estate he was living in got foreclosed upon. His marriage ended the same year. Oh, shit. It was like an ugly divorce, just like his father's. Mm. Do we know why? Uh Uh-uh. But it said that he died an untimely death of a heart attack at the age of 42. Oh, shit. All that damn stress. Yeah. So then in 1929, Billy's brother who was reclusive, he never married. His name was Charles Limp. He moved back into the Limp man- mansion with his dog. Okay, so Charles and his dog moved to the Limp mansion. He reportedly never entertained or enjoyed social outings. Again, reclusive, blah, blah, blah. Those who knew Charles described him as a sour, angry man. In 1941, Charles sent a letter to a local funeral home, giving them explicit instructions. In the event of his death, he requested that his body not be bathed or changed during being cremated. He wanted no funeral service or published obituary. Eight years later, Charles shot his dog (gasps) and then himself (gasps) in the limp mansion. He was the last to occupy 
the home. The limp. Oh, the my last limp. God. Yeah. Why'd he kill his dog? Because I think because in his head, like, the dog would starve or something. Yeah, no, he was I, I mean, yeah. So. No, I mean, I get it, but. I know. I wonder if he still had servants or if he was by himself. And if he was by himself, how long before somebody found his body? I don't know. Ugh, God. Mm. So, Edwin, he was the youngest brother. He lived a long, reportedly happy life to the age of 90. Damn. And he had a country retreat. So, he was the last of William Sr.'s children to die. And he was a lifelong collector of artworks and artifacts from his world travels. He was the recipient of many luxurious items from the estate of his wealthy family. So Edwin requested that all items be destroyed after his death. What? Yeah, it said no explanation was given, but it's been speculated that the request was due to his fear that the limp curse might live on in the family Uh, heirlooms yeah all of that all that history i know it was a lot but i mean you had to no i love it figure out like okay all these suicides all these like weird deaths like with the heart stuff but it's like yeah early ages and blah So, it's thought that five or six of the members of the limp family an unknown entity in the basement, and a dog still call the place home. <gasps> the dog? Yeah. It said that they've all been really pleased with what the owners have done in restoring the mansion, besides the grump in the basement. <gasps> with um, his dog? <laughs> probably. <laughs> Poor um, guy. Before it's been restored, the Lim Mansion was a boarding house after Charles's death, and then it just kind of got deteriorated but richard pointer purchased it in 1975 and converted it to a restaurant so as they worked on the renovations the pointers experienced a number of unexplained occurrences he richard was pointing oh my god his name's pointer donna (laughs) okay (laughs) richard was pointing in the bedroom (laughs) richard pointer was painting Billy Lent's former bathroom, and he was frightened into leaving earlier. To leaving early. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck! (laughs) He was frightened into leaving early. So he described the event. He said, I was painting the bathroom by myself. There was no one in the house, but I felt someone behind me watching me. I mean, it was a terrible feeling. The most burning sensation you can ever have. I get goosebumps just now thinking about it. I turned around and nothing was there. I started working again and got the same feeling. So without looking behind me, I cleaned my paintbrushes and got the hell out. Damn. So then he hired a local artist to restore the hand-painted ceilings. Ooh. Because, you know, they had to have all the money Mm -hmm. when it was done to restore it. You got to do the same Mm -hmm. shit. So, uh, Richard Pointer, you got a son or anything? I mean, look, you want to adopt me, sister wife? (laughs) But he had, he did not know of anything. He didn't say, like, look, I had this weird experience. Mm -hmm. The ceiling painter, he had an, he had a similar experience. He said that he was on the scaffolding, lying on my back, painting the ceiling in the dining room. 
he got the feeling that someone was staring at him. He felt as though they were in the hallway just outside the room, but he couldn't see anything through the frosted glass door. He went on working, and about an hour later, the feelings returned. It was weird. I felt like I just had to get out of there right then, and hmm. so he did. He did. He didn't even clean up. He was like, you got a ghost in there or something to the guy. Yeah. So Richard's son, Dick, he was sleeping alone, except that he had his dog, Shadow. It was a Doberman Pinscher. Okay. Okay. So he and Shadow awoke to what sounded like a loud bang or kick outside his bedroom door. Looked. Nothing's there. The dog couldn't find anything. Nothing. One night, Dick was closing the restaurant with an employee, and they heard two keys being played on the piano, but no one else was there. They looked around, because, like, they knew no one else was there, but then they're like, hey, let's look around. Somebody could be fucking with us. Yeah, no one. Like, so many people have had unexplained shit happen, too. A candle on the mantle would light itself. What? Yeah. A drawer in a furniture piece that belonged to the lamps, mm-hmm. it will open and close without anyone's help. Because it was supposed to have been destroyed. Right. I knew somebody kept some shit. Always do. Always. Somebody always got to play with fucking fire. <laughs> Legit. Okay. So, objects disappear and then reappear in different locations, like Robert the freaking doll. Mm-hmm. They hear disembodied disembodied voices. They hear the horse hooves and stuff. Okay, so the pointers say that they lost a lot of employees over the years due to some of this shit. One was a former rape. Oh, my God. Former rapist? (laughs) A former waitress, Bonnie Strayhorn. She said, early one morning, I was going through the house making sure that everything was as it should be as the restaurant opened. When I noticed a dark-haired man seated at the table in what was originally the Limp family dining room, he was facing away from me, so all I could see was the outline of his shoulders and head. I was surprised to see someone in the restaurant so early, but I asked if he wanted a cup of coffee. He did not answer. When I looked away for a moment to flip the light on, I turned around and he had vanished. She quit her job that day. She was like, it was impossible for a man to be sitting there and leave. Like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. Like, don't want to do it. Like I said, I mean, it has all the normal things. Apparitions, voices, sounds, doors locking and unlocking, the piano bar playing on its own, like I've said. There's three areas that are known as having the most activity. The stairway, attic, and I said it right. And... The basement, which was used as an entrance into the caves, and the caves are known as the gate to hell. Jeez. Yeah. So, a lot of strange occurrences are often witnessed on the third floor as well, because that's where Monkey Face Boy (gasps) haunts. Can we just call him the illegitimate child or something, (laughs) which is not just as bad, but bad, too? God, that poor baby. I'm just going to call him MFB. No. (laughs) Let's just call him Bob. Okay, Bob. Poor Bob. Okay, so the face of Bob has... See, Bob don't like you talking ugly about him. (laughs) Okay. The face of Bob has regularly been seen from the street, 
And people were like, oh, fuck. And, I mean, he's got a distinctive look. Mm -hmm. So they see that. And also, investigators will leave toys there, and they'll be gone or, like, moved. Then in the downstairs women's bathroom, many women have reported a man peeking over the stall. What? It is said to be the womanizing Billy. Uh, I was just about to say that, motherfucker. Uh-huh. Always trying to get a nuts. What's up? <laughs> he wanted that glory hole. I, I mean. <laughs> in William Limp's room, guests have reported hearing someone running up the stairs and kicking the door. When William killed himself, Junior was known to have run up the stairs and kicked the door trying to get to his oh. father. Oh. Yeah. One paranormal investigator felt something tugging on his hair outside the attic in the hallway, and it was just outside, you know, yeah. where Bob is. Yeah. It's like, he just wants attention and love. Gosh. Okay. Another spot is the main stairway. Like I've said, they've heard the running up the stairs. Yeah. Kicking in the door. Mm-hmm. Lots of orbs going up and down, you know. When videos and photos are taken, and a feeling of being watched is a common report. The back stairway, the panting of a dog, clicking of his nails, and dragging of his chain can be heard on the stairway. Said still looking for his beloved master, Charles. I think they're together. I think so, too. Because if that grumpy old man in the basement is there, then they're together. Yeah, and I feel like, yeah, they wouldn't know. He's just a dog. He needs to explore sometimes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Second floor is William Limp's suite. A white apparition of an older gentleman has been seen with a two-inch beard in the sitting room by the window. And a presence was felt near the mirror on the large clothes closet. <laughs> that was a lot. It was a tongue twister. In the Lavender Lady suite, a strong scent of lavender has been noticed. And it also sometimes, like, permeates the furniture as well. What? Why is her scent there? If she went off and, like, lived her own life and... I don't know. Probably... Well, again, we don't know why certain spirits choose certain places. Like, I feel like she has a lot of torment that went on there. And just, like, no closure, maybe? Maybe. And, like, I mean, that's, like, how he said, can I say, like, one more fucking time? <laughs> Old Charleston Jail, why would Ghost choose a prison to haunt? Well, and I guess, too, like, after you die, are you always a ghost? Or do you go on, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I have no idea. I don't think so. I feel like people who just have unfinished business unfinished, kind of. Yeah, unfinished or, and not unfinished, like, I have to do something and then yeah. I'll pass over. It's. Lack of closure kind of thing. Yeah, it's like Bob never having the love, mm -hmm. never having the attention. He's going back looking for something. Yeah. You know, he can't pass over or whatever. You know, like he's yeah. not 100% ready. I don't know. I don't either. Someone's listening and they're like, no, that is not how this works. Can you send us an email and tell us, please? Well, but two, I mean, it depends on what you're beliefs are because i mean if yeah. you're christian then you think no we go to heaven you know yeah or hell and so but some people purgatory 
Yeah, but some people don't even believe in heaven or hell yeah. and that we just all exist on kind of this plane of existence and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, clearly we'll never know until we die. Which I don't want to be soon. No. Okay. So, sorry we went off on that. So, Lavender Lady. Lavender smell in the room, in the furniture. A shadow has been seen slipping through the crack in the bathroom door the locked door to this room has been found standing wide open on several reports. Like the first floor has the piano that we've mentioned before. Drinks at the bar have been known to stir themselves and glasses will move and break themselves as well. The paintings in the Lavender Lady's dining room, which was originally William Billy's office, and William Limp's study, did I say this? Sorry. The paintings of people in the dining room seem to follow you as you move. Mm-mm. Do not like those. No. An investigator from the Missouri Ghost Hunter Society was pushed out the door of this room by a male presence. Hmm. He said, GTFO. Wonder how they knew it was male. I don't know. Me neither. <laughs> I guess that's why you wonder. <laughs> I, guess, yeah, I, was gonna say, I guess that's why I asked. Well, we might not know much, but we know why you asked. (laughs) Okay, so I found a website called Legends of America, and it was a little, like, forum. But on Saturday, October 9th, 2004, Kathy Weiser and Amy Stark, they visited the mansion with that historian, Joe Gibson. Mm -hmm. He will give the tours of the inn, when the owners will allow him to and mm-hmm. stuff. So they met up at the bar, settled in. He was telling them all about every detail. You know, this is from this. And they had the, you know, like yeah. the mirror was like a gilded mirror from blah, blah, blah. Because he knows like everything because he's been studying this history for so long. She said while they were on the tour, several strange events occurred. The first they were standing in the darkened attic, which it's he where? described Bob, and she was snapping pictures in the room. Mm-hmm. And she said that when she was doing that, she was approached by a woman who had joined their quote unquote unofficial tour. That sounds like something we would do, be like, oh, what are they doing? Let's go see. Mm-hmm. She wanted to know if my shadow would appear on the wall when I took a picture. And so she was like, no, because the flash is in front of me. Like, this is how this works. Mm-hmm. She said that when Kathy took a picture, she saw a distinct shadow of, of a person against the wall. Damn. And she said that she couldn't, she scrolled back through her pictures, but she couldn't find anything of the shadow. But how strange. Yeah. They also heard of the voice of a child, which would be Bob, mm-hmm. we're thinking, over and over, say, help me, help me. Do we know, well, obviously, we don't even know, know that Bob existed, but do we know how old he would have been when he died? I think 30. Okay. And he was buried on the property or, like, in there, I think. But it said all he had was, like, a, like the flattened plate. You know how some graves have, like, just mm-hmm. a, the headstone, but it's, like, a small yeah. marker. And it just said limp on it. Oh. Yeah. I'm just going to read this as Kathy because it's easier. Okay. As we... No, I don't know what she sounds like. Stop (laughs) that. Oh, God. 
As we began to make our way down the stairs, we passed William Limp Sr.'s room. Amy pulled me aside because the door was standing wide open with the key in the door. Not going in, we just peeked. We continued our journey down the hall when an alarm was raised by one of the guests in the room. When they arrived back from dinner, they found the door wide open and were looking for a manager. However, there was no key in the door when they arrived. The manager quickly responded that it was impossible because there had to be a key in the door as there were only two keys to that room, one in the hands of the guest and the other in the manager, manager's hands. So who opened the door and where was the key that we saw when we passed? Mm -hmm. Later, several members of the group would describe having passed a man in the hallway holding a key in his hand and described as acting irritated with the large group moving through the hallway. He was described as pale, older, and wearing a white shirt and black pants. No one thought anything of it at the time, believing he was a member of the staff. Yeah. However, we would find out there is no such gentleman working or staying at the mansion that met that description. Though no harm was done and nothing was disturbed in the guest room, it was just very bizarre. Yeah. That's probably the clothes that he killed himself in. Probably. Everyone was congregated around Charles's room. The guest that was staying in the room, they allowed them around to look, you know. Well, they both sensed a heaviness in the room. But it wasn't the room where Charles shot himself. It was in the parlor area. One of the women who had joined their group told a story of how she had been married in the mansion a year earlier and had carefully laid her dress and other items on the bed. She then turned away from from the bed for a moment, but when she turned back, all the items were scattered. Outside of Charles's room, one member of the group reported smelling cigar smoke. On the first level of the mansion, the dining room to the left of the entryway Once served as Billy's office, which is where he killed himself. In the corner of the room was his desk, where he sat with his gun in his final moments. The temperature in this room was considerably colder than in the rest of the room. Like that one spot. On the wall, the painted portrait of Lillian, the lavender lady, she actually smelled lavender by the portrait. Okay, this was a reader submission in 2004 on that same mm-hmm. uh, thing. Kathy had wrote the article, and these are people who... Like, commented. Yeah. My name is Renee, and I have family in St. Louis. So, when we go, we make a trip to the Limp Mansion. Our last visit was on March 24th, 2003. They arrived around 8.30. I don't know why I go back and forth between reading it and their... Perspective, and then I talk about it in mine. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. So they had, like, a dinner party going on. And so they were like, you can still look on the main floor or upstairs. Just kind of be quiet. Mm -hmm. They had never been to the attic, and so that's where they headed first. So they wanted to see where Bob stayed. And they were just kind of creeped out because it was dark as fuck. And they're like, all right, no. Well, they turned around to leave, and all four of them got instant chills because they heard a little boy say, come play with me. So she was like, shut up to her brother. And he was like, I did not say anything. And he was like, 
freaked the fuck out. Yeah. And then the boy repeated it again, saying, come play with me. And she was like, like, look to her husband and gave him like, what the fuck, guys? And he yeah. was like, like, shook his head and was like, ushering her out. Like, let's go. Yeah. And she was like, won't go back to the attic again. Damn. Yeah. So that's a lot for her to always make that trip. Yeah. And then be like, that's the one place we're not going to go. So I read on Reddit someone, and she, like, posted a lot of information. But the one, like, huge thing, she brought some wooden trains from her little brother. And she, like, put them up there. No, she put them in her room. Then they're like, we're going to go up to the attic, whatever. She went, found them, put them up there. Was like, we're just going to leave them while we go investigate. Marked a spot where they could see if it moved. Mm -hmm. They went up there and they couldn't find the trains anywhere. Like, gone. Yeah. So, they were like, well, fuck. What do we do? You know, came time to check out. They had some other crap happen to them, like EVPs and all. But she couldn't find them. So, she's like, you know... Whatever. One morning, she got a call from someone who worked there. She said she saw them leave on the security camera. She wanted to know if they made it home okay. Because they left at, like, 4 a.m. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's why. Sorry. Left that part out. I was trying to merge this, like, three-long-page thing, and I fucked it all up. (laughs) Y'all just wait for sinister sightings. She asked me if any of us forgot a pillow with a pink and blue pillowcase on it. Shit, mine. That's my pillow, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to get back. So just do what you want to do with it. And she's like, okay, dear, I'll probably throw a different case over it. Would you also like me to get rid of the wooden trains that were inside of it? What? Yeah. Also, that... They would just use a random person's pillow again. Uh, what? Yeah, that's gross. But, yeah. What? Yeah. I just thought that was, like, whoa. That's crazy. Okay. Coming to the end, and you know, my bedazzled boo, he shows up everywhere. Uh Uh-huh. He actually haunts the places, okay? Right. Like, these guys are like, fuck. When he walks in. (laughs) As usual, I'm not going to go through all of their shit, because I'm, I'm sure he got possessed and was aggressive. Mm-hmm. Something happened. They got scared. He said, don't I love you? And I said, oh, God, no. Yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. So they spoke with a woman who had worked in the mansion for 20 plus years and also a maintenance man named Chris. On the first floor of the mansion, it's used as a restaurant, like we know. And she said that she had... She has seen something there every single day that she has worked. Damn. Once, she was sleeping on a pullout bed during an event that had overnight guests, and she heard the door open. She pulled the covers over her head, like experienced uh, people do, but she felt the presence walk around her bed and lean over her, (gasps) and then it moaned in the most terrifying way, like right in front of her face, but uh-uh. it's covered with a sheet. What? A guy named Matt Bell and his wife owns the mansion now, like, at the time that this was. Mm-hmm. 
and his wife was in the room dusting and cleaning things. She left to go to another room, and then she came back 15 minutes later, and all of the paintings were upside down. What? Yeah. And then one other thing. So, so Zach Bedazzled Boo, he was showing the viewers, a.k.a. me, a map of the caves beneath the mansion and, you know, like, talking all about it. Well, their photographer who sets up, like, shots, like, this is where it would be a good angle to get mm-hmm. all of this, blah, blah, blah. And he, like, goes and marks stuff with, like, X's on, yeah. you know, tape. So, their photographer, Mike Stodden, was walking down, and before he walked in, he had placed his glasses in his pocket. Because walking down the steps, he was like, I'll fall. Like, yeah. it's dark, whatever. So did that well a few yards he felt for him but his pocket his pocket was empty and he was like where the fuck were my glasses yeah so he's like all right look we're about to film i'll find him in a minute like i gotta keep going Mm -hmm. and mark some shit so he went about 50 feet down like still marking off stuff and he was like damn there's some glasses picked him up like shined a light and was like these look like mine. Put him on his prescription. He was Holy like, shit. he had not been there. Yeah. 50 feet in front of him. Damn. And so like, that is a lot of what people say is like stuff goes missing and then it's found somewhere else. Yeah. So that is the story of Limp Mansion. Do we think they were cursed because of the Native, Native Americans that were in the tunnels? That's what they say because they he went and built over yeah. the caves and stuff. I mean, it wasn't like they're like, "You motherfucker, you built over me." It was their torment and yeah. that negative energy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it is, but that's what it would be. Yeah, but I mean, like they say, money cannot buy happiness. No, and it cannot save you from a curse. Nope. Sure can make things easier. Sure can. I mean, I'll take your money. Look, let me prove you wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's a good. um, We need to do a scientific study, but we're going to need at least $100,000. Each. Yeah, each. And You can tell we're not rich because I say $100,000. Not a million. I'm like, look, $100,000, that'll do great. That'll put a huge dent in both of our houses. Yeah. All right. Now let's creep it real with Carrie's story. Okay. This is the big one. Oh, shit. It's practically a book over here. (laughs) Okay. We are doing what some people consider to be the OG female serial killer of the United States. We're hitting it up with the monster Eileen Wernos. Ooh, she's a bad bitch. She, some stuff, again, says that she was, like, the original, like, the first female serial killer in the United States, but. Uh, That's wrong, because we've already talked about, well, when was this? This was, like, in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, she's she's not. She's not. Because we talked about old Charleston Jail, Mm -hmm. that lady. And Nanny Dodd, wasn't she? Nanny Doss. Same thing. Yes. And. Your bloody benders. True. 
Mm-hmm. So, okay, already off to uh, this is all false. Fake news, fake news. Okay. So, Eileen was born Eileen Carol Pittman in Troy, Michigan on February 29th, 1956. So, her mom, Diane Wernos, she was 14 years old when she married Eileen's father, Leo Dale Pittman. So, they she was so they had been married just around 2 years when Eileen was born. And so her mom was only 16. Wow. And so and just a couple of months before Eileen was born, her Diane had filed for divorce. Eileen's brother Keith was born on March 14, 1955. So Diane Wernos was again very young, like right around that kind of 15, 16-year-old yeah. age when she when she had Eileen. And so she was one of those mothers that couldn't really cope and and all yeah. that. Eileen actually never met her father. When she was born, he was incarcerated. Aww. And, you know, along the way, he had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. And he was in jail because he was convicted of sex crimes against children. Oh, shit. And then while he was in prison, on January 30th of 1969, he committed suicide by hanging himself in prison. Yeah. So she, poor thing, she's, I mean, what is not off to a good start in her childhood. So when Eileen was four years old, her mom, Diane, abandoned her and her brother. Fuck. And left them with their maternal grandparents, Laurie and Britta Wernos. And they, they, almost said illegally, they legally adopted them on March 18th of 1960. So that's how she, like, got the Wernos. Okay, I was wondering. Even though her mom had abandoned her and she was adopted by the grandparents, you're like, okay, new start. Yeah. No. When she was six years old, like, just to show the amount of neglect and all of that that was in her life when when she was six years old, she and her brother were, like, playing with fire. Just like. God. Yeah, like here, let me let's just see what this lighter fluid in these matches will do. And so of course, the fire got out of control. Yeah. Because she's six, so that makes him what? Two? Yeah. And so she ended up getting burns on her face that like never healed. Oh. So she had scars on her face for like the rest of her life. Okay. When she was 11, she began to use sexual activities in order to get what she wanted. 11? Yeah. So she would exchange sex for cigarettes, drugs, and food. God. At the age of 11. Bless it. So it's said that her grandfather was an alcoholic who would sexually assault her and beat her. And that, like, before he would beat her, he would force her to completely strip out of her clothes. She also allegedly had sexual whatever intercourse something with her brother. Oh God! Oh. So when she was fourteen, this was in 1970, she got pregnant, and it's said that her father, her grandfather's friends, would rape her too. Fuck! I know, and so. That she was actually pregnant by one of her grandfather's friends. And so she went off to a home, basically, for unwed mothers to have the baby. And she had a boy, but 
Well, God, you know, that was probably a vacation for her. I know, I know. But then she, so she gave the baby up for adoption. So a couple months after her son was born, she dropped out of school. Her grandmother died of liver failure. And so when she was 15, her grandfather threw her out of the house. Damn, I'm surprised he didn't just lock her up and I know. keep her as a fucking sex slave. Mm-hmm. Unwilling sex Unwilling, slave. Unwilling, yes. So she's 15. She's kicked out on the streets. What the hell is a 15-year-old to do to have money on the streets with the life that she's li- lived? Yeah, I mean, hell, she's got tons of experience. That yeah. is a learned behavior now. Yeah. So, of course, she turns to sex work to, you know, Make survive. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, when she was 18 years old, she was arrested in Jefferson County, Colorado for driving under the influence or DUI or some stuff's driving while intoxicated DWI. But here it's a DUI for disorderly conduct and firing a 22 caliber pistol at a moving vehicle. Damn. Then, in 1976, she hitchhiked to Florida. Ugh. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? No. When she got to Florida, she met a guy named Louis Gratzfell. He was a 69-year-old that was, like, the president of a yacht club. Damn. I know. Go get it, sugar daddy. I know. Yeah, because so she would have been 20. Mm-hmm. So they ended up actually getting married. Damn, did he have a prenup? I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. I was living in a fantasy over here. As one would expect, someone with this history, she had a very short temper, a very, like, she was very aggressive, very yeah. everything. Because how the hell else is one, to, how is she going to survive? Yeah. yeah. And so she had a lot of confrontations in bars. She was arrested for assault. She would hit Lewis Fell with his cane. Um, like, so he, <laughs> sorry, that is fucking savage. Like, she she didn't even have to say go pick a brand like a yeah. switch. No, she was like, "Come here!" Like, damn. I know. I mean, resourceful, but <laughs> damn. Back in the day, you had to do that. Go pick your own switch. No, your parents didn't spank you. My daddy spanked me one time with his leather belt, and I'll never forget it. Mm-mm. Oh, I had to go pick my switch many a times. Mm-mm. Many a times. Actually, I was a good and kid. No, the fuck you weren't. And you just didn't get spanked. The other thing that we had, not only sometimes going to pick your own switch, but my grandma, who, like, kept us, like, we didn't go to, like, after-school care because my mom worked. We would go to her house. She kept a fly swatter on the, above the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. So if she reached for the fly swatter, you're done for. Okay, I did have a fly swatter (laughs) on my legs. I don't remember where I got hit with it, but I did get hit with it <laughs> a lot because I was a shithead. My mom said, there is a file on you. Sorry. Nah. <laughs> I got it. I got the belt. I got it all. Well, you were bad. I was bad. You're a bad. And I was the kid that would like put your hands behind your back on your butt. And they'd be like, if you don't move your hands, I'm going to hit them with the belt. And I was like, no. And then they would. And that hurt. <laughs> Except for one time. This is total tangent. And I need to not do so many tangents on this long ass story. But... Well, as I got older, when my mom would spank me, I would fake cry and then go in my room and crack <laughs> up. <laughs> Damn. Oh, and I'm that a is making up to go. Okay, okay, okay. So he, her husband, 
Lewis, he got a restraining order on her because Hilaire, she was hitting him with his cane. Yeah, he got caned. Fuck. So. Oh, my God. Sorry. This is how my brain works. Okay. So I said he was a sugar daddy. Mm -hmm. And then he got caned. With a sugar cane? And I was like, damn, it's a sugar cane. Mm -hmm. But it ain't sweet. Damn. Mm -hmm. Damn. I mean, but I was picking up what you were putting down. So, (laughs) Okay. In July of 1976, so not, you know, this is like they just got married kind of. Yeah. She was arrested and charged with assault and disturbing the peace for throwing a cue ball at a bartender's head. Damn. Yes. She really meant, like, balls to the walls. (laughs) (laughs) So on July 17th, so that was the 14th. On the 17th, her brother Keith died of esophageal cancer. Oh, gosh. And so she got a $10,000 payout from his life insurance. Okay. So on July 21st, after only nine weeks of marriage, they annulled their marriage. Oh. In August, she was given a $105 fine for drunk driving, and so she used the money from... Like yeah. Keith's inheritance to pay that off, and then she spent the rest within two months Holy buying yeah. like anything she could. She bought a new car. She wrecked it like right after she got it. Oh gosh! Yeah, and so it was like out of money in two months. Ten G's. Damn. So on May twentieth of nineteen eighty one, she was arrested in Edgewater, Florida, for armed robbery of a convenience store. She stole. $35 and two packs of cigarettes. Man, the cigarettes will get you every time. So she went to prison for about a year, from like May to June of the next year. You're like, oh, just for about a year. A year can change you people. I think she was already changed. I think life had already yeah, changed her. Yeah. So then, so she spent a year in prison. The next year, she was arrested for attempting to pass forged checks in Key West. Damn. And then the next year, she was a suspect in the theft of a revolver and some ammunition in Pasco County. So she's coming north a little bit now. Yeah. The next year, she was arrested in Miami and charged with car theft, resi- resisting arrest, ob- and obstruction of justice because she used her aunt's like ID card. And so they're like saying oh. it with her. When she was arrested, the Miami police found a 38 caliber revolver, ammunition, all that, like, in a stolen car that she was in. God. Fucking trifecta. Uh-huh. So, six months later, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but imagine that. The Volusia County deputy sheriff arrested her, or they held her for questioning after, essentially, a John, they call a male companion, Mm-hmm. said that she was in his car and she just, like, pulled a gun out on him and was like, give me fucking $200. Well, he wanted to get fucked. What? <laughs> 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 but don't you love how they say a male companion, but then they would call her, A, like, a prostitute. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, prostitute is through all this stuff that I found. Some stuff did say sex worker, and I was like, go you. Yeah. They so, they needed a word count, though. True. <laughs> When she was, you know, brought in for questioning on that, they, of course, found her to have spare ammunition, a twenty-two caliber pistol, and, like, all that was underneath the passenger seat where she was sitting. So around this time is when Eileen met Tyra Moore. 
She was a maid in a hotel, and they met at a gay bar in Daytona Beach. Okay. So Eileen was the breadwinner of the relationship. Oh, gosh. And she was, I mean, through, through as a sex worker. Yeah. So on July 4th of 1987, the Daytona police pulled in Eileen and Tyra for some questioning. And, and Eileen called her Ty. So some if I flip back and forth, yeah. it's because that's what she called her. So they were accused of being involved in... In an assault incident in a bar with a beer bottle. Then on March 12th of 88, so almost a year later, Eileen was accused, or I'm sorry, Eileen accused a Daytona Beach bus driver of assault. She said that he like pushed her off the bus after they had a confrontation and she listed, she Listed it. She <laughs> listed Tyra Moore as a witness to the incident. Oh, it just so happens. Yeah. So there was a guy named Richard Mallory. He was one that, I love this, when the article said, like to change now and again. Um, um What? <laughs> no, like in his life. Oh, I thought you meant liked to change. Like No, liked a change in his oh, life. okay. He lived in Clearwater, Florida. He was an electronics repair man. He owned the business of the electronics repair. So he was one that would just like randomly close down his business so that he could and just like disappear for a couple of days. Wow. Yeah. So he was not a nice man. Oh, um, lovely. He so when he would be gone for those few days as he would go on drinking and sex binges. Wow. I don't know why this is important, but one thing said that he changed his locks, like, to his apartment eight times in three years. So I don't know if it's because he had a lot of enemies or he had a lot of sex workers and stuff that he would bring home and all of that. And so he just, like, changed his locks often. So his poor employees, he would only keep them long enough to clear the backlog of work that he had let pile up while oh he was gosh. gone for days. So, like, he would hire these people, they'd catch him up on his work, then he would let them all go. And then he would disappear again. It said that, like, one article said his only constants were alcohol, sex, and paranoia. Gosh. So, in December of 1989, when he didn't show up, Nobody was, nobody cared, well, not cared, but nobody thought it was abnormal because he would go on these benders where he would disappear. He just wanted a change. No worries. Yeah. So, of course, no one was close enough to him. He's paranoid, all that. So nobody noticed he was gone. It wasn't until they found his 1977 Cadillac a few days later outside of Daytona that anybody was like, "Mm, that's weird. Oh, damn. So on December 13th, 1989... Two men were looking along a dirt road for some scrap metal, and they were they were close to I ninety five, which is like the main interstate going through okay. Florida, and they found a body wrapped in carpet. Oh, so they took some fingerprints because you know it's Florida. It's even though it's like December. Florida ain't that fucking cold. Right. I mean, cold Florida is like 50. Yeah. (laughs) And so the body was very decomposed, but they took some fingerprints from him and found that he had been shot three times with a 22 caliber pistol. Mm. From the 
fingerprints, they identified him as Richard Mallory. He had been shot. Two of the bullets went into his lungs, and that was what was the cause of death. Oh, man. Um, so after they, like, looked into this for, like, months trying to figure out what happened to him, to, to Richard, you know, and they're kind of realizing that his lifestyle and yeah. how many enemies he had and how many, you know, blah, blah, blah. They honed in on a sex worker by the name of Chastity. <laughs> she, I, don't, I mean, I don't, she was a stripper. So I don't, would you call that a sex worker? I mean, I don't know where she draws her line. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I called her a sex worker, but dancer. according to the art, articles, yeah, she was a, a dancer, a stripper. So let us know if that's, if I'm an asshole because I called her a stripper. <laughs> but there wasn't a whole lot, like, to sh- like, there was nothing to show that Chastity had done it. Yeah. So then, on June 1st, 1990, a nude body was found along Florida State Road 19 in Citrus County. The body had been shot six times, and it was identified as construction worker David Spears, and he was 43. Mm. On June 6th, the body of Charles... Carzacadon, Cars, Cadon, I don't know. <laughs> Charles was found in Pasco County. And so he had been shot nine times with a small caliber weapon. Gosh. And so his body was found just like days after David Spears went. Uh, did I say that Charles was a part time rodeo worker? Mm-mm. Yeah, he was a part time rodeo worker. And he was the nine times he was shot in the chest and the stomach. So a month later, on July 4th, there was a car going down State Road 315 near Orange Springs, Florida, that was just, like, driving erratically and, like, came to rest in some bushes. Rhonda Bailey was a lady who was just sitting on her porch, minding her own business. I picture her in a rocking chair, smoking a cigarette. With in her some, moo-moo. With some sweet tea. Mm-hmm. Or a beer. And some curlers in her hair. No, it's kind of hot to do that. Mm-hmm. She gonna have. She has a ceiling fan going mm. on her porch. Yeah. She may even have it screened in because they screen in everything in fucking South Florida. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm guessing. We're painting you a picture of fake news. <laughs> um. <laughs> so she's sitting on her porch and she sees that whole like accident thing happen. She said that she saw two women get out of the car like panicking, throwing beer cans. Beer- <laughs> <laughs> Were you about to say kite? No, oh. beer cans into the woods and swearing at each other. So <laughs> don't try to church it up. No, I wasn't. <laughs> she said that there were again two women. One was had brown hair. One was had blonde hair. The lady with the blonde hair, her arm was bleeding from the accident, and that the blonde is the one who was kind of the dominant one. Did most of the talking. So. The blonde-haired lady was like, to Rada Bailey, please don't call the cops. Like, my dad, my father lives just up the road. Please don't call the cops. So she and her, then the other girl, got back into the car. It was like smashed to hell and back. Yeah. Like, the windshield was out. Other windows were out. God. And so they got in the car, and it drove like, just a little bit. <laughs> and so they abandoned it. Yeah. Hubert Hewitt. That's a hard name. Yeah. So he he was in the Orange Springs Volunteer Fire Department. He was the one who responded to the call of the accident. And so he asked the two women, like, hey, were you all the ones in the car? Like, are you okay? 
And the blonde one, like, was like, fuck you. It wasn't us. Like, cussed him him out and was like, leave us the fuck alone. I don't want any help. And so he left him alone, and they walked off. So then the Marion County Sheriff's Department, or sheriff's deputies, found the car, like, right where the women had left it. It was a 1988 Pontiac Sunbird. Sunbird, not a sunburn. (laughs) This is me jealous, projecting, because my whole family's swimming right now, and we're freaking recording. I'm not jealous. I'm just saying. I'm Mm -hmm. jealous. But the glass in the front was, like I said, the windshield in the front, and and on, like, the doors was all smashed. There were bloodstains throughout the car, and the license plate was missing. Suspect. Yeah. So, they did a quick little computer search on the VIN number, and... They figured out that the car belonged to Peter Sims. I'm assuming it's pronounced Sims. It's S-I-E-M-S. So I'm going to say Sims. If it's not, sorry, Peter. <laughs> and Peter had disappeared on June 7th. He was he left his home. He lived in Jupiter, Florida, and he was heading to visit some relatives in Arkansas. So he was a, a retired merchant seaman, much like your pops. Mm-hmm. He was 65 years old. He was like... Very devoted. Most of his time was spent volunteering for a Christian outreach ministry. And so the Jupiter police had been working the case for Sims since he was reported missing. They had sent out a nationwide teletype saying, like, look, these are the two women that were, you know, seen in this car. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. And so he also sent a synopsis of the case and the sketches of the women to the Florida Criminal Activity Bulletin. And so he was like, I'm not optimistic that we're going to find him alive, but, like, here are these yeah. women. So then, on July 31st, 1990, Troy Burris was reported missing. On August 4th, 1990, his body was found in a wooded area alongside State Road 19 in Marion County. He was shot twice. And, like, so this is kind of the progression of him. So, Troy was a delivery driver for Gilchrist Sausage. And so, early on the morning of July 30th, you know, he was doing his deliveries. And when he didn't come back that afternoon, his manager, Johnny Mae Thompson, was like, uh, what the fuck? Where is he? So, she started calling around and realized that he didn't show up for, like, the last few deliveries on his, or the last few stops of his deliveries. So late that night, she and her husband went out looking for him. Well, at 2 a.m., Burris's wife reported him missing. At 4 a.m., the Marion County Sheriff's deputies, they found his truck, like I said, on the shoulder of the State Road 19. Okay. That's like 20 miles east of Ocala. It was unlocked and the keys were missing, and obviously, so was Troy. He was found five days later. A family was out for a picnic in the Ocala National Forest, and they found his body in a clearing just off the Highway 19, about eight miles from where his truck was found. Dang. That's why I don't go in the woods. I don't want to find a dead body. Mm -mm, Not even even National Forest woods. No, thank Mm -mm. you. So, again, especially him, kind of like before, it's Florida. It's hot as fuck. It's Mm -hmm. humid as fuck. Ugh. And they're in Ocala, so that's like two hours north of Tampa. That was always my place. Like, yes, I'm in Ocala. Two more hours. This is the easy (laughs) part of the drive. Like, I can do it. I can do it. 
So the body was decomposed so much that they couldn't make an identification at the scene of who he was. But his wife identified him through his wedding ring. Oh, gosh. So he'd been killed with by a twenty two caliber gun. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. With two shots, one to the chest and one to the back. So they initially thought that because there was a a local drifter or a drifter in the area named Curtis Michael Blankenship. And he had been hitchhiking on Highway 90 the same day that Troy Burris went dis uh, went missing, went disappeared is what I almost said. Um, <laughs> and so he and he was also kind of like picked up close to the abandoned trucks. So they're like, yeah, um, must be him. Mm-hmm. So as the per- the case progressed, they were like, OK, clearly it wasn't him. And fuck, we're out of suspects. Yeah. So, Charles Dick Humphreys. (laughs) I knew you were going to laugh at that. (laughs) Dick (laughs) Humphreys. Okay. So, he was a retired U.S. Air Force major. He worked for, like, he had just done his last day of work for the Sumpterville Office of the Florida's Department of Health and Rehabilitative Rehabilitative Services. God dang, that was a mouthful. For the Department of Health, he was an investigator that specialized in investigating cases of abuse and injured children. Oh, gosh. And he was about to transfer to the department's Ocala office when he went missing. So he was also a retired police chief from Alabama. Like he, so like this kind of like, I mean, not that any victims are more important than others but like he was well involved in keeping the community safe yeah but anyway so on september 12th 1990 his body was found in marion county he had all of his clothes on but he had been shot six times in the head and torso fuck his car was later found in the suwanee county lastly we have walter gino antonio he was a police reservist a security guard, and a truck driver. Um, Jack of all trades. mm -hmm. So he was, his body was found November 19th, 1990, almost completely nude. He was found on a logging road in Dixie County. He had been shot four times. Five days later, his car was found in Brevard County. He had been dead less than 24 hours when they found his body. Yeah, I will say that some of the information was different on the victims. Like, some stuff had even spellings of their name different. Like, Gino, like it said, one one thing had him J-E-N-O, one thing had him G-E-N-O. For him, too, one thing said he was 60, one thing said he was 62. Like, some of the, and I know that's just about him, but that was kind of the case on a few of them. Okay. So, got as much right as I think is right, you know? Okay, yeah. Okay, so going back, remember that on July 4th, remember, those girls had abandoned Sim's car. Yeah. And so some of the people that saw them in that car knew their names. And so gave their names and the descriptions to the police, which kind of launched this huge media campaign to find them. Police had also found some of victims' belongings in pawn shops and on those objects actually found fingerprints that matched those found in 
victims' cars. Oh, damn. So, of course, you know, as with anything, leads start pouring in. One guy said that the two women had rented a trailer from him earlier that year and that their names were Tyra Moore and Lee. A woman in Tampa said that the women had worked at her motel and their names were Tyra Moore and Susan Blalevic. Then an anonymous caller said that the women were Ty Moore and Lee Blalevic and that they bought an an RV and that Lee Blalevic was the dominant one and was a, quote, truck stop prostitute, and that they were both lesbians. I love this. This article said the mother load, though, came from a port from Port Orange near Daytona. So the police had been tracking who they knew of as Lee Blalevic and Tyra Moore and had, like, a detailed account of their movements from September to December. Wow. And so they knew that they had been staying at a Fairview Motel in Harbor Oaks, where Blalevic was registered there as Cami Marsh Green. So, how do they come up with these names? I, I don't know. So they had spent some time living in a small apartment behind a restaurant near the Fairview Motel, but like returned back to the hotel. But in December, they left, and. Blalevic slash Green came back by herself. Okay. So, of course, you know, it's early 90s. They've got computers that they can search for stuff. So they do a quick little of her and find out, like, to get more information on Tyra Moore, Susan Blalevic, and Cami Marsh Green, whoever in the fuck they are. So... Tyra Moore didn't really have a a criminal record. She had been arrested for breaking breaking and entering in 83, but the charges were dropped. Bailovic had one trespassing arrest, and Green had no record at all. But the the photograph on Bailovic's license didn't match the one for Green. So they're like, this something's weird. Yeah. But the ID for Cammie Green was the one that paid off. So the Volusia or the Volusia or Volusia, yeah. whatever county, they like started checking pawn shops in the area and found that Cami Green had pawned a camera and a radar detector, detector, and she left a thumbprint on the receipt. Mm. And they figured out that those items that were pawned belonged to Richard Mallory, the okay. first victim. Yeah. Then, in Ormond Beach, she pawned a set of tools that matched the the tools taken from David Spears' truck. Remember his name? Mm Mm-hmm. So, again, the thumbprint, the receipt, too, was another kind of ding moment for the investigation. So, they put the thumbprint through the automated fingerprint identification system, but nothing came from the computer search. So, the V-word county that I can't say, (laughs) Volusia, whatever, county... They were like, okay, well, look, we're going to do a hand search of some of our fingerprints and see if she's, you know, in there. Yeah. So within, a, within an hour, she found the fingerprint. The fingerprints showed up on a, char- a weapons charge against Lori Grody. A bloody palm print found in Peter Sims' sunbird matched Lori Grody's prints. So, all this information was sent to the National Crime Information Center, 
And they put the puzzle together and found out that Lori Grody, Susan Blalevic, Cammie Marsh Green were all aliases of Eileen Carol Warnos. Dun, dun, dun. So then they were like, okay, we got to fucking find her. This is her, you know, we got to find her. So they started the hunt on January 5th, 1991. They had two officers go undercover. Their name, their names, God Almighty. Their names were Bucket and Drums. <laughs> so they, their part that they played, they were pretending to be drug dealers down from Georgia. And so they were like hitting the streets trying to find her. So on January 8th, Bucket and Drums found Eileen Wernos at Port or at a Port Orange pub. So the whole point was for them to like gain her trust and develop this gradually so that they could get a good airtight case on her. Yeah. But all of a sudden the Port Orange police just came in and took Eileen outside. So of course the one of them one okay the okay the two undercovers names which I know I always do so many names in my story but Mike Joyner and Dick Martin were the undercover police officers their real names so Mike Joyner like called command and was like um what the fuck like this is like a six jurisdiction case they're they're all camped out at Pirate Cove Motel yeah you know the task force thing is over there trying to get these and then like. Port Orange just comes in and, like, takes her outside for questioning. Yeah. And so they were like, fuck, is there, like, a leak of some sort? Like, how, you know, what happened? And so they called Port Orange Police Station, was like, tell them, do not arrest her under any circumstances. And so word got to those police officers just in time, and they let her go back to the bar. So the two undercovers start up a conversation again with Eileen. They bought her some beer. She left the bar at around 10. They offered to give her a ride home, and she's like, nah, I'm good. Catch you later kind of thing. Yeah. So it was like sheer panic moment. Like, that, their, like, sting operation was almost fucking ruined because these police officers were actually just doing their job. Yeah. But they had no idea that there was this huge, like, multi-county yeah. task force, like, trying to take her down. So they followed Eileen to a bar called... <laughs> This bar. The name of this fucking bar. Last Resort. Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. So the undercovers came back and met her there. They had some more beers, you know, shot shot the shit kind of thing, and left just about midnight. But Wernos didn't leave. So she ended up, this was the night before she was arrested. So she spent the night sleeping on an old car seat in... fuck. In the last resort bar. So the next day, the two undercovers come back to the bar. You know, they got their little wires on there. You know, like they planned on arresting her that day because that bar, last resort, it was this big biker bar. And so there was supposed to be this big biker party, like barbecue happening that day. So tons of bikers were going to be coming in that afternoon. And so they were like, okay, we have to. We have to move on this or we're going to lose her kind of thing. So knowing that she had slept there, the two undercovers were like, hey, you want to come back to our motel room so you can get cleaned up? And she was like, yeah, thanks, actually. And so she left the bar with them. God, I don't know why, but that breaks my heart for some reason. I know. I know. And so that's when 
they arrested her on an outstanding warrant for Lori Grody, not her. And so, like, mm-hmm. they didn't mention anything about them murders or they didn't even tell the media that they had, you know, had a suspect or anything because they still didn't know where the murder weapon was and where Tyra Moore was. Yeah. So she was arrested on that outstanding warrant. And then the next day, police did locate Tyra Moore in Scranton, Pennsylvania. She was there with her sister, I believe. So they go up there to get to get her. Yeah. And of course, what she do, turn state's evidence. And so she gets immunity for everything wow. as long as she's a witness. And then she did like taped phone calls with Eileen to try to get confessions from her. Never trust a criminal. Tyra or Ty said that she knew about the murders since Lee had come home with Richard Mallory's Cadillac. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think that Tyra only knew her as Lee. Like, I don't think that she knew her name was Eileen, but I I could be wrong about that. But she said that Lee had openly confessed that she had killed a man that day, but Moore told her not to say anything else. She said, I told her I didn't want to hear about it. And that, and then anytime she would come home after that, she'd say certain things, tell me about where she got something. I'd say, I don't want to hear about it. She said that her, again, she's quoted saying, I was just scared. She always said she never wanted to hurt me, but then you can't believe her. So I don't know what she would have done. So they brought her back to Florida. They put her up in a motel in Daytona and told her to call who she knew of as Lee in jail and say that she had been given money to come back down, get the rest of her stuff. So they taped their phone calls, of course. She's calling her in jail, duh. (laughs) Um, And so Tyra told Eileen that, the police had been questioning her and her family and that she was so scared that the murders would be pinned on her. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that what they were hoping for was that Eileen, because she's was in love with Tyra Moore and I mean, up until the day she died, said she loved her and all this stuff that she thought that they thought that Eileen would confess to the murders. Mm. So the first call was on January 14th. So she was still under the impression that she was in jail for Lori Grody's weapons violation. Mm. When Tyra Moore was like, I'm really scared that they're going to come at me for these murders. Eileen was like, I'm only here for that concealed weapons charge in 86 and a traffic ticket. And I tell you what, this is, this is her quote. And I tell you what, man, I read the newspaper. I wasn't one of those little suspects. So she was, again, of course, she's, this is not her first trip around the block. She knew the phone was monitored. Yeah. And so she, of course, like, tried to talk about it in code words and, you know, all of that. And so she said, I think somebody at work, where you worked at, said something that it looked like us. And it isn't us. See? It's a case of mistaken identity. So they kept on with for three days with the calls. And, of course, the police are like, you got to get it from her. Like, you pushing her, pushing her, pushing her. Yeah. And so, like, as the time passed, Eileen became less careful about the things that she would say. And so she said, this is from Eileen, basically telling Tyra Moore that she's not going to let her go down with her. She said, just go ahead and let them know what you need to know, what they want to know or anything. I will cover for you because you're innocent. I'm not going to let you go to jail. Listen, if I have to confess, I will. And then... On January 16th is when Eileen started talking. Oh, Um, shit. So she confessed. 
She said that all of the killings were done in self-defense. She said that all of the victims had either raped her, assaulted her, threatened her. But her story always kind of changed and developed, like, as she was telling it. Mm -hmm. So, like, if she said something that was kind of incriminating, she would, like, back up and be like, no, 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 this is what I meant, kind of thing, to change the details to make them fit. Yeah. She said that basically she had been raped so many times in the past that she was like, I fucking have had enough. I'm done with it. These motherfuckers that treat me like shit because I'm a sex worker and rape me and all this stuff, I'm done. And so, of course, people are like, what the fuck? A female serial killer? Like, this is Mm -hmm. not unheard of, but unheard of. Yeah. So people were coming out of the fucking woodworks trying to get, get to her and get information, blah, blah, blah. So, about that time, a lady by the name of Arlene Praley, who is a, quote, born-again Christian. Oh, Lord. Who also ran a horse breeding and boarding facility near Ocala, said that she had seen Eileen's picture and wrote a letter to Eileen and said, My name is Arlene Praley. I'm born again. You're going to think I'm crazy, but Jesus told me to write you. She gave Eileen her phone number and, of course... Eileen called her, and almost immediately, Arlene was like, we have to help her, and blah, 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 and this fucking Arlene was all about trying to get money. Like, she was, appeared all, like, on different talk shows Who? and all this. Arlene, the, the lady that I was just telling you about, the Born Again Christian lady. Oh, okay. She ended up adopting Eileen. What? Mm-hmm. Like, an adult adoption. Mm-hmm. Ended up adopting her so that she could protect her, quote-unquote. Oh, gosh. A.K.A. make money off of her. Yeah. So, yeah. So, she and her husband legally adopted her because God told her to. So, a year later, Eileen went on trial for the murder of Richard Mallory. You know, what's crazy is that they say that, like, okay, in Florida law— it's called Williams Rule. The prosecution was allowed to introduce evidence of her other crimes to show a pattern. Oh. But this is what's fucked up. So Richard Mallory had a history of, like, as a sex offender, and they were not allowed to bring that up in trial. Wait, what? Yeah. So basically, she ended up, like, recanting on the fact that she said that all of the men raped her. She ended up being like, okay, okay. Like, cause she's, you know, born again now because she's been adopted by the born again Christians. And so she said, I can't, I can't lie anymore. Richard Mallory was the only one that raped me. I killed him out of self-defense. And personally, I think like she really had, she had had enough. And when he raped her, she was like, fuck you and killed him. She snapped. Yeah. And then it just kept down a path of, robbing these other men to get money they'd offer a ride or whatever and then she would just kill them for their money Mm -hmm. but so according to her later the next the only person that raped her was richard and so it just fucking sucks that i mean not saying that one is right or wrong or that Mm -hmm. you know but but i think that there's a really good chance that she did kill him in self-defense yeah and so it just sucks that all of her history was able to be presented but not his as part of her defense. And I'm not saying we should victim blame, and I'm not, but 
I really do think that it was self-defense against him. Well, and even even then, like you're saying, it's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. That's not fair. Right. Because, you know, we're not supposed to be biased, but that seems biased. Right, right. So she, with all the sentencing and all of that, she was... You know, because they had to decide, like, determine if she was mentally stable. They diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. And they did decide that she was mentally stable and sentenced her to death. That was the only, like, trial that she had. She just pled guilty to the rest. And so she received five death sentences. Gosh. They never found Sim's body. Oh, I was wondering about that. Did um, she say what happened? No, no charges were ever brought against her for him because they never found his body. But so in total, she received six death sentences. Fuck. Yeah. So they did a psychopathy checklist on her is what the test is called. She scored a 32 out of 40. And so the checklist, when you look at like the norms, anything above a 25 is consistent with a diagnosis of psychopathy. And Damn. she scored a 32. Damn. Out of 40. Okay, so she was eventually, you know, in prison, j- just to kind of, I'm going to go through this part quickly, but she had, she clearly had a ton of mental illness issues. And yeah. she was very paranoid. And she said that the prison corrections officers were poisoning her food with dirt, saliva, and urine. Um, God. And that she says that she had overheard conversations among prison, prison personnel saying that they are trying to get me so pushed over the brink that I wind up committing suicide before the execution and wishing to rape me before the execution. Do you think that's true? I mean, <laughs> I know that it's more important about the raping and all that, but the the food spitting urine. I don't think so. <sighs> she would, of course, complain about the strip searches, the tight handcuffs. She said that they would kick her door, do like ungodly amount of like window checks on her because that's, mm. you know, and that she had really low water pressure. Her mattress was mildewed that they would have, they would do cat calling to her in distaste and pure hatred towards me. Is what she said. So she tried to boycott showers in the food trays. And she would, like, have to take showers, like, with just, like, the sink in her cell. But so basically there was just, like, a whole thing about how she was treated in prison. But I don't, I mean, again, I don't know what is true. Yeah. Because she had, I mean, which is the perfect person. If you're a conspiracy theorist, she's the perfect person to do this Mm -hmm. to because she is paranoid. So, okay. She was given a $20 allowance for her final meal. And at first she said that she wanted, I think, Popeye's, honestly. (laughs) I know it was fried chicken, but one thing I read said Popeye's. Oh, my gosh. But instead, she decided just to do a cup of coffee. Oh, my God. Her last words were, just again, this just shows her mental illness. Her last words were, yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rocks and I'll be back, like Independence Day, with Jesus. June 6th, like the... Like the movie, Big Mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. What? Yeah. Her body was cremated and her ashes were spread beneath a tree in Michigan. With her family? Mm-hmm. Like her adopted family? Uh-uh. Her real family. Oh. Uh, the adopted family didn't want her? 
I guess not. They got theirs. She requested that Natalie Merchant's song Carnival be played at her funeral. Girl, that is my jam. Mm-hmm. And so in the documentary, Eileen, Life and Death of a Serial Killer. That's on Netflix. Yeah. The final credits that when they rolled, they play <gasps> Natalie Merchant's Carnival. Oh, my gosh. I've got to watch that. God, that makes me tear up. And so, like, and so, okay, this is a quote from Natalie Merchant. When she was asked, like, why'd you let them, blah, blah, blah. She said, when director Nick Broomfield sent a working edit of the film, I was so disturbed by the subject matter that I couldn't even watch it. Eileen Wernos led a tortured torturing life that is beyond my worst nightmares it wasn't until i was told that eileen spent many hours listening to my album tiger lily while on death row and requested carnival be played at her funeral that i gave permission for its use of the song it's very odd to think of the places my music can go once it leaves my hands if it gave her some solace i have to be grateful gosh oh what happened to natalie merchant i don't know Loved that fucking CD. Okay, so there, I'm going to skip a lot, but there are tons of books and movies and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, there's this one interview, and it's, I think it's in the documentary that you're going to watch, so spoiler alert, kind of. <laughs> Not really, but kind of. This is the day before she was executed, and Nick Broomfield, the director, just said, you know, he goes, I'm just wondering how you're going to be, you know, at 9.30 tomorrow morning. Are you prepared? And she says, I'm prepared. I'm all right. I'm all right with it. And he said, and how? And she said, I'm all right with it. I'm all right with it. But like I said, remember and let me and let tell, let them know that I know that the cops knew who I was after Richard Mallory died. I left prints everywhere and they covered it up. They let me kill the rest of those guys to turn me into a serial killer. I know they did because I was no professional serial killer or anything or murderer or whatever you want to call it. You know, I just, I wasn't special. I was just doing, did some sloppy work, you know, left prints. And then he said, you know, have you, how have you prepared yourself? And he said, she said, I'm all right with it. Hey, I'm ready to go. Hey, I was tortured in BCI, the prison she was in. They, sorry, this is so choppy because she's so choppy and like, it makes no fucking sense. She said, they had, they had the intercom on in my room and they kept lying that it wasn't on. And they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. He said, sonic pressure. She said, every time I was trying to write something, they did. I think they had some kind of eye in the cell. I'm not sure. But every time I started writing something, it went higher. Something that I think they probably had the TV rigged. The TV or the mirror, something was rigged. They got this huge satellite on the compound. After they put the huge satellite on the compound, it could have been either rigged to the TV or to the mirror or something. But the electrician, when he put up the mirror on the wall, said... Don't they look like computer and back off and stuck it to the wall? And then, I mean, again, it just, she talks about they were crushing her head with sonic pressure and how much she suffered and going through that inner head. I know. And so, I mean, again, this is all in that documentary and I'm not going to tell you everything that's in it because, I mean, obviously watch it. But basically she says, I'm a hitchhiking hooker. Like they knew it was me. Running into trouble, I'd shoot the guy if I ran into trouble. Physical trouble. The cops knew it. When the physical trouble came along, 
let her, let her clean the streets, and then we will pull her in, and that's why. I mean, again, she talks about, like, you sabotaged my ass society, the cops in the system, a raped woman got executed, it was used for books and movies and shit, ladder climbs, re-elections, and everything else. Okay, so she says that because she was on death row for 10 years, and Jeb Bush was up for re-election, and deemed her medically stable, I mean, mentally stable enough for her execution. Oh. So that's why she's like, yeah, you're using me for fucking re-elections and shit. Yeah. And so she died of lethal injection. Wow. Yep. And so that is Eileen Wernos. I actually, I didn't watch Monster when it first came out. I think it came out in 2002, 2003. I didn't watch it when it first came out, but I did watch it a few years later, and I just... It really stuck with me, you know. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it. Christina Ricci played Tyra. Uh, oh, I can see that. And I don't know. Yeah, I, I want to watch this documentary too on Netflix. That is that that this that those quotes came from. Because yeah, I've seen those quotes like on YouTube and all of that. Like, and and I mean, just God love her. She had. Yeah. So much. I mean, she didn't stand a chance. She did not stand a chance from the day she was born to a 16-year-old mother who's not saying that all 16-year-old mothers can't handle it, but a 16-year-old mother whose father was in prison, killed himself, was abandoned, you know, and then brought up in the – she did not stand a chance. You know, what's going through my head is – how people are like, is it nature or nurture? And I'm always, I've always said, I mean, there's a little bit of nature, but a whole lot of nurture. Mm-hmm. And through all of this, I'm like, I was fucking right because look at all of it. But you could also argue that it's nature because her dad was in jail for, he was a sex offender. Her mom's father, her grandfather was a sex offender. You know, like she had these criminals that in her in her blood. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I'm not saying it's yeah. either one's right or wrong. I'm just saying it. So you could argue, but it's both. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely both, but it's way more nurture. But right now, the not push, but so there's this really great photograph of her that we'll put up on the website of her in handcuffs, and she has the handcuffs like up around her neck, like and. There, I saw a T-shirt that had that picture on it, and it said hashtag Me Too. And so Damn. they're really kind of using her as part of the Me Too movement for the abuse that she sustained in the past from her family members, from men who were her clients, you know, all of these things. Yeah. That it was what broke her kind of thing. Yeah. Is what they're saying, you know. So I don't know. This is a a really long case, and I know this is a really long episode, but there's so much that I left out of her. I mean, we could do three episodes on just on her. Yeah. But I do recommend Monster. That was a good movie. It made me so uncomfortable because it's so powerful, you know, because it it did its job. Did it stay pretty true to what you know now? Yeah, there was a lot more details of, like, the interactions between Eileen and Tyra and— you know, it would show her like go off to make money, and then she would kill someone. And there was it gave me a lot of anxiety because it was like always something kind of like looming over them because they were broke, and she was killing these people. And yeah, you know, 
it just, but until the day she died, she professed her love for Tyra. Gosh. Who flipped on her in a hot second. Mm. That's how love works. Well, and, <laughs> you know, they had a, a, from what I remember from Monster, they had a pretty toxic relationship, too. I know, would imagine. In that. I mean, they there's mental illness running rampant through this uh, yeah. untreated mental illness. I yeah. think I should preface because I mean, I have a mental illness. I mean, I have me too. You know, severe anxiety and depression, and you know, severe is a strong word. Moderate anxiety and yeah. depression, I guess I would say, and I take medicine for it. You know, but yeah, it's this. They have some serious mental illness of antisocial personality disorder and all of that that's untreated and that's where it all falls apart yeah gosh this is one of those cases that i'm i can't it's hard for me to judge her and what she did because i feel so bad for but then again i'm like no okay if she would have just killed dude yo richard yeah i've been like but yeah that would be a case like i would be more Behind her. Yeah. But then you you keep going, and she kept going. And killing what appears to be, even though she changed her story a ton and a ton, what appears to be just innocent people who may have just stopped to help her. Yeah. And instead of just robbing them, she robbed and murdered them. Yeah. So that's where I'm like, no, nah, I mean, I'm definitely not saying she's anything. It's It just proves, again, everyone's a victim. Mm-hmm. In these stories, yeah. What makes this podcast and these this so difficult too is that nothing's black and white. No, and that's what makes. I mean, you know, our whole conversation on the prison system before, and just because email about her family's history with family members who had been murdered yeah. and all of that, and you know, it's just it's very complicated. It's very complicated. Yeah. So on that note. What did we learn? One, money cannot buy happiness. Right. It sure can make it a lot easier, though. Yes. Because. Well, you know what? Money can buy happiness. Temporarily. Well, I feel like they don't say eternal happiness because I can buy something and that makes me damn happy. True. For, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't keep paying for it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's done its job. But, too, I mean, if you look at it, the money, buying happiness and all, I mean, we have two extremes in our stories. You know, you have the multimillionaires who mm-hmm. had everything and still resulted from mental illness, yes. untreated, misunderstood mental illness, mass suicide, basically. Yeah. Not mass suicide. That's extreme. But you know what I mean? Multiple yeah. You're to an extreme today, apparently. I am. I'm, I, you know, I'm very black and white today, <laughs> even though our stories aren't. But yeah, I mean, these people who killed themselves because of their untreated mental illness, because they couldn't cope with whatever. Yeah. And on the flip side, you have Eileen Warnos, who was dirt ass poor, who had nothing. Yeah. And same situation, untreated mental illness that led to death as well. It just happened to not be hers. It happened to be yeah. other people's. Whereas these people over here just took it on took it on themselves. She took it on other people. Yeah. So true. 
I think, what would be a better saying than money can't buy happiness? Money can't buy comfort. Internal comfort. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I could be in a plush chair. You know, (laughs) I mean, but like, it it didn't give them what they needed. Money can't buy salvation. And not in the like heaven or hell salvation. No, yeah, internally. Mental salvation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also we can say that mental illness does not discriminate. That's number two. Okay, number two. No, because again, the wealthy of the wealthy, us, who's <laughs> middle low of the road. Yeah. And then again, someone who's the lowest of socioeconomic class. Yeah. You know, homeless and making it through this life as a sex worker. That's the only way she could make money. Yeah. Okay, we have to end on a better note. Okay, number three, there is hope. <laughs> Yes. Well, you know, with, I'm not saying like the true crime podcast, mainly ours, no, but I feel like shit is being more accepted mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. If you went to therapy or you take medicine yeah. or anything like that, like I think that people are finally understanding that mental illness is not something that you can just say, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get over it. Yes. It's it's not that way. And I think that that's coming People are understanding more self-medication through drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol as it relates to mental illness for people who either don't have access to proper mental health care or money to afford medications, what have you. And that kind of the trickle-down impact of mental illness as it relates to poverty and homelessness and yeah. cycles of abuse and, and all of those things. And so... The hope and the positivity in this is that through podcasting, through different social media platforms and, you know, even like that, I think it's I think it's called Get Help. It's a website where you can have access to counselors or for therapy, you know, through your phone, through your computer, through whatever. And so if you're not comfortable going to find somebody local where you sit down and have a conversation, you can do it through technology. And I think that through that growth, it's the outlook is has to be better. Yeah. I feel like, too, and again, I don't know. I mean, I'm not out there. I don't surround myself with, like, just tons of people, you know, to say this. I'm just guessing. But I feel like a lot of people don't say, what's wrong? Like, something's wrong with you. Like, you're messed up as, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's... Okay, you have this issue. Right. It's your health. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's instead of, like, you're broken, you're no good because, mm-hmm. like, you're crazy. You know what I mean? It's right. not just that. Like, people now understand, oh, my mom also has depression mm-hmm. and you have depression. Like, right. And it can be different. Right. But, you know what I mean? I feel like now, because it is getting more... Widespread. I don't know. And people could be listening and be like, uh, no, but. Well, that's how I, I mean, there's, feel. there's always going to be ignorance. There's always two sides of the coin. It's yeah. The, you know, for every time that we move forward in the, you know, the mental health community, there's always going to be some steps backs. There's some pushbacks. But, you know, yeah. as much as I hate to admit this, fucking Kanye West, oh, I hate him. But <laughs> he just not too long ago came out that he is bipolar. 
and that has he has been bipolar oh. forever and you know talks about how in the african-american community there's you know mental illness that people don't recognize or treat and just the cultural implications of having a mental disorder for african-americans and you know yeah. so he really is so you know culturally i feel like every culture has a different opinion of mental illness and i think that we're making strides out of what we consider maybe the middle class of, yeah. oh, you have anxiety, depression, and you're just this middle class white girl, you know? Yeah. And so we're making strides in those things, too. So as much as I hate him, good job. <laughs> <laughs> but we would love to know what you think. Yes. We always love feedback. Yes. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for always supporting us and letting us be a part of your lives in these very intimate ways as we talk about difficult subjects difficult conversations and you know you open yourselves up in your emails that you send to us we appreciate it so much we love to hear from you we want your feedback we want you to email us or review us on itunes or wherever so let's keep the conversation open and helpful and remember creep it real and and don't don't get get scared. scared